Blog Talk Radio. This is a new dimension in sound. From Cavalier Basketball. LeBron watching with seven, with six, with five. Who else but LeBron? LeBron to the circle on low. Got it! I think he prefers king to Indians baseball. Swung in and belted to deep left. Browns football. Back in the pocket. Steps up, goes into the end zone, up high. Jalen Edwards up, got it, touchdown! This is the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. Alright, welcome back to the return of the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. I'm your host, Rock. With me, my co-host tonight is going to be Rick. How's it going, Rick? It's going fantastic. At least I'm doing better <laughs> here in Lima than they're doing in Berea. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. And uh, this is, as I said, this is going to be our uh, first podcast of 2009. Um, we hope everybody had a safe and happy holiday season, but we're ready to get going. We've got some uh, news to cover regarding the Browns, and that's going to be the hiring of the new coach, uh, none other than Eric Mangini. And so we couldn't be any happier than to have our guest with us. It's Barry McBride from the Orange and Brown Report. How's it going, Barry? Oh, it's going well. A uh, lot of news today, but not necessarily unexpected news about Eric Mangini. No, that's correct. And um, maybe why don't we uh, maybe just kind of start from the beginning. If you could just give us a little bit of a, your sense of how we got to this point that Mangini became the man, and that we're you know that they went ahead and hired the coach before the GM. Maybe just you know we can get into opinion maybe a little bit later. But let's just start with the facts of how we got here. Well, Eric Mangini has a little bit of a history with the Cleveland Browns. They went after him uh, to be their defensive coordinator back in 2005 uh, when uh, I believe he was a backfield coach. I'm not sure. But he was a position coach with the uh, New England Patriots at the time. Uh, Romeo Cornell wanted to bring him in here uh, as a defensive coordinator. Uh, Unfortunately, the Pats had the same idea after we hired Romeo Cornell away from them. And so he moved up to that position for a year and then got the shot at the New York Jets. Uh, Now, obviously, you know, there's a couple things in play. One is that Lerner was familiar with Mangini from their earlier pursuit of him and had heard a lot of positive things. Uh, The other thing, obviously, is that he's from the Belichick tree, uh, and uh, Randy Lerner has a high opinion of anything uh, coming out of New England, it seems, and then finally, you know, one thing I guess people shouldn't overlook is that Randy Lerner lives in uh, Long Island and has been hearing about Eric Mangini for the last three years from the Cleveland media. So when he met with the media uh, in his office in Berea, uh, you know, about a week and a half ago to talk about this search, uh, he didn't even know at that time that Mangini was available. But when one of the media members told him that, uh, he got visibly excited and happy <laughs> to hear that. So, uh uh, one has to think from that moment on, he has uh, had Mangini very much uh, at the front of his mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about him Lerner having the residence in New York, because that was one aspect I wanted to ask you, you know, maybe how, how big of an impact you thought that had on this. Because I guess my biggest question about this is, what did uh, Eric Mangini do in that interview that so overwhelmingly wowed Lerner that it just became, you know, that was going to be his guy? How much of it was his back history with the Browns? How much of it was the fact that maybe Lerner had been so familiar with Mangini, you know, having that residence in New York that he was maybe a little bit more familiar with him, maybe a little bit more comfortable with him? Well, I, I think a big factor here, and I think all of this stuff probably played into it. And, of course, we're not privy to what went on in that particular meeting 
uh, at least not yet. And uh, once Mancini gets here, some of these leaks to the media are going to shut down pretty quick. Uh, but uh, I think all of it had to play with that. But, you know, one of the things that you can't ignore as well is that Eric Mangini is very much like Bill Belichick in a lot of ways right now. Uh, not only is he similar to him in terms of his personality and sort of his workaholic nature, but Eric Mangini is a guy who also, you know, just went through three years with his first team, uh, had some moderate success while he was there, uh, learned some lessons, and I think that Lerner is so eager to try to recreate that formula for success up in New England that he may see Eric Mangini as a mini Bill Belichick. And, uh, of course, if he's right, uh, then uh, Browns fans have a lot to be happy about. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people have tried to get that Belichick mojo uh, over these last couple of years, and uh, no one seems to have done it so far. But uh, I really think the New England influence here uh, with Mangini was very, very strong. You know, as as you said, the um, this is probably the worst kept secret uh, so far in the uh, in, in the history of uh, coaching hires here for Cleveland. Uh, talk a little bit about the uh, the the personnel that Mangini is is trying to assemble around him. Um, you know, I think that's a lot of the questions that that our readers want to know. You know, who's going to be coordinating? You know, does this mean the end for Chudzinski? Um, you know, is it possible that Romeo Cornell is going to stick around? Um, what are you hearing? What, what's your gut feeling? Well, it, it looks at this point like we're going to see Rob Ryan as the defensive coordinator. Uh, this uh, story was uh, uh, broken by ESPN shortly after Mangini, uh, you know, got uh, about two hours after it became official that Mangini was going to be the Cleveland Browns' new head coach. I'm not sure where that information is coming from, but uh, uh, ESPN tends to get handed some pretty good stuff. And uh, so as as a result right now, we're thinking that that is an accurate report. And in terms of offensive coordinator, uh, he's working with the ex-quarterback coach uh, of the New York Jets, uh, a guy by the name of Dayball, who I don't know a considerable amount of, uh, about, including exactly how to pronounce his name. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I've been talking to talking to Dan Leverfeld about him, and he's with Jets Confidential. And uh, the point that Dan made to me is that um, he comes, again, from that New England system, and so did Charlie Weiss. So if the Jets uh, quarterback coach – now, Bill Callahan was really their first choice – uh, but they couldn't get Callahan, so the backup choice was to go after their quarterback's coach. This guy is conversant in the system that was used in New England, which also was used by Brady Quinn in Notre Dame, and now he's bringing it to Cleveland. So it seems like a very, very good fit for what Brady Quinn does particularly well. And as a result, uh, that is, you know, that's a good first sign. Uh, uh, Ryan, for his part, did a pretty good job in, in Oakland, uh, without necessarily having the greatest component parts there to work with. It seemed like he worked more with a 4-3, because uh, that's what Oakland ran, but it's far too early to tell if there's going to be some wholesale change in defensive philosophy. But uh, his coordinator choices, at least at first blush, um, appear, to be, uh, appear to be ones that make a lot of sense for this team at this point. Uh, and uh, on the OBR forums, at least, I think people are – responding a little bit better to the coordinator choices that are getting out there than they did with the actual hire of Mangini. Uh, it seems to be giving them a little bit more confidence now. Well, and, and with 
again, if Ryan is indeed going to be the defensive coordinator, that pretty much spells the end for Romeo Cornell in Cleveland, does it not? Yeah, uh, you know, they were trying to figure out some sort of role for Romeo. But it's very strange that a team would keep their old head coach around. Now, the Browns did it before with Terry Robisky, but he was just an interim head coach. Right. Um, would create sort of a weird and uncomfortable situation uh, for the new guys who are there. And, and so when these stories first came out, uh, I think a lot of us just sort of discounted them. I would, I would have to agree that uh, in any profession, you know, let alone a head coach of a football team, if, uh, if the, the man you replaced stays around, it's, it's probably not a good idea. Um, now, no, no. So, I'm sorry? I, 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 was just, I was just agreeing with you. It would be yeah. a strange situation. and a, uh, not, I can't imagine how it would be a good locker room dynamic. So now Mel Tucker, does this pretty much mean that he's going to be looking for a new team as well then, or would he go back to being a position player, a position coach? You know, I suspect that he'll wind up with a new team. Uh, again, it's a situation where Mel Tucker, you know, is a fairly young guy. He's considered a guy on the rise. He's gotten a couple of head coaching uh, interviews. Um, and, you know, I've always thought of him as a pretty capable coach. Uh, I think for the Cleveland Browns, it would be great if Mel Tucker wanted to be a defensive backs coach again. He did a terrific job, in my opinion. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I just don't see it happening. That would be a difficult pill to swallow uh, for someone at his age. Uh, hopefully he can find himself another opportunity. I'm sure he can uh, because he's a, he is a capable guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, We'll get back to Mangini here in a minute, but I want to ask you, obviously Mangini's only half of the equation here. Uh, the other half is going to be the vacant uh, GM position. And, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot on your guys' site. There's a lot of talk about what the what Randy Lerner's ideal situation is on how he wants to structure the front office. Maybe I was wondering if you could shed a little bit of light on, you know, first and foremost, what what are you hearing Randy Lerner would like the front office to look like as far as structure? And then maybe if you could talk a little bit about the GM candidates that uh, that we're looking at now. Right. I, again, the Cleveland Browns appear to be trying to emulate uh, what was found in New England. And if I could recommend people read anything about this, uh, it would be uh, actually not even on our site. It's on the Akron Beacon Journal. Pat McManaman, I think, has had by far the best analysis so far of why Randy Lerner is heading the way that he is. And he does appear to be trying to sort of recreate the collegial environment uh, at the New England Patriots. Now, there's not one particular template of, uh, you know, how you organize a football team that's successful. There's a variety of different approaches uh, from guys like Parcells calling the shots um, to someone like Andy Reid, who's a head coach who has pretty much all personnel authority. Uh, and you have the situation up in New England where you had a head coach and a general manager sort of working hand-in-hand and collegially and, and doing a lot of things by consensus of the, of the scouting staff, so on and so forth. And that seems to be what Randy Lerner is trying to recreate. And, and as a result, you're not hearing uh, some of these names like Parcells and, and some of these others. You know, I really uh, got the impression that Randy Lerner thought that there would be a couple of different potential right answers to this. Uh, the cower answer didn't happen for him, uh, so he sort of is now trying to recreate uh, what New England has. And really, you know, with Coquinas, there, George Coquinas from the Baltimore Ravens, who uh, Chris Mortensen brought out as a general manager candidate, um, 
you know, last weekend, uh, is essentially sort of a mini Scott Pioli, whereas Eric Mangini is a mini Bill Belichick. And so he's hoping that those two guys can work together closely. Um, lately, we've started to hear some other names. Tom Heckert's name has come up uh, as someone they're going to interview in the, in the week to come. And uh, there's actually some interesting stories, one of which we have in our Rumor Central area, about why Lerner may be uh, starting to interview some other people. But uh, he does seem to be looking for this sort of collegial environment where there's not one guy with uh, necessarily has his hand on the rudder, but a bunch of people who can work together. And that's why you're seeing the type of GM candidates that, that he's talking to so far. Right. And, um, you know, kind of to go to that point, um, you know, from what I've gathered, uh, especially from looking at uh, the uh, insiders over at your site, uh, basically the, the Randy Lerner's idea of the perfect uh, front office structure maybe didn't perfectly coincide with Pioli's. Am I understanding that correct, where Pioli maybe wanted more power than what Randy Lerner wanted to give just one person? Is that basically what that came down to then? Yeah, that, that's what it appears to be. Now, of course, we've heard all kinds of things via back channel about, uh, you know, maybe a little, you know, it became obvious that there might be a personality clash between the two in terms of uh, Pioli coming in and sort of uh, being somewhat brash about what needed to be done. I get the sense, and again, I don't have any sources telling me this, and uh, Lane and John don't have any sources telling them this, uh, but one gets the sense that Pioli wanted to come in here and really uh, do a cold reboot of the whole franchise. I mean, sweep it out from top to bottom and rebuild it. And I don't think Lerner is ready for that. I don't think Lerner wants that. He wants to change out a couple of parts that he didn't think were working, uh, but by and large leave the organization intact. And that's what he seems to be doing. Pioli, I think, uh, wanted to make a little bit more aggressive changes uh, than Lerner necessarily did. Uh, and it may come down to that rather than, you know, exactly what his titles and responsibilities are. Uh, I really think Pioli wanted to uh, uh, clean house from top to bottom here in Cleveland, and Lerner may not have felt comfortable about that. So that's my that's my take on it. But, again, we don't have transcripts of that interview, so we don't know exactly what's gone on between those two. Yeah. If we can get back to Mangini for, uh, for just a little bit, do you have a sense or could you um... – could you maybe uh, describe for our readers uh, his style? I know that um, you know one of the one of the knocks on Romeo was that he was too much of a player's coach, and you know people have been uh, have certainly been clamoring for more of a disciplinarian. And um, uh, not saying that that's wrong by any stretch of the imagination, um, but what type of coach would you you know would you say he is, and and do you think he's going to be a, might be the right fit for the Browns? Well. He's an interesting fit for the Browns. The question is how much he's learned from uh, the lessons he, he had in New York. One of the key things with Bill Belichick is that he did seem to learn a lot. Of course, he left Cleveland and then spent a few years with Bill Parcells, working again in a coordinator role. Mangini's coming right from one head coaching opportunity to another. You want to see how much he's learned. There, there's a couple of things about Mangini, at least that I'm hearing about. One, of course, is that the guy is a workaholic. He's a serious guy. He's a stoic guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's hard on people who don't uh, necessarily do what he wants them to do. Uh, he's not a screamer, you know, in the classic sense of the, the head coach who gets in everybody's face and is yelling at them. Uh, but he's more, uh, more Belichickian, <laughs> Belichickian, one would say. Um, 
you know, in terms of, of how he handles people. Now, sometimes that rubs people the wrong way, uh, it seems to have in New York. Now, another question, and I was just, uh, I, I, while I'm talking with you guys, there's also a chat going with our Jets site and uh, uh, Dan Leverfeld, and one of the things I asked him uh, was in terms of how Mangini reacted to pressures coming from the New York media, because one of the things we keep hearing is that Mangini began his career as a very aggressive defensive coach, got a bit of criticism for that, and seemed to pull back and become more conservative over time. Dan doesn't think that there's anything to that, that Mangini was essentially just using the personnel that he had. But one thing that is a great concern uh, when you think about Mangini and what he needs to do here in Cleveland is that as a defensive coach, as a you know another defensive mind who's brought in uh, to run one of these football teams, the Jets had a really, really bad uh, pass rush last year. And Vernon Golston looks everything like a bust right now uh, as a draft pick. And so those are a couple of things just in Mangini's track record, you know, sort of getting under the skin of some of the people around him and the lack of success he had establishing a good pass rush uh, out of New York. Uh, that would give you a little bit of pause. And uh, this is his second chance here in Cleveland but I know people are going to be watching for those things to see if sure. he repeats those same mistakes here. Sure. You know, and, and obviously, you know, Belichick uh, did much better with his uh, his second coaching assignment than he did uh, with his first. And so obviously, you know, those that would support this hiring would say, you know, you have to give a man a, a chance to um, uh, to learn from his mistakes. You know, the question is uh, – by the time he learns those lessons, you know, is it going to be too late for the players that we have uh, in-house? Um, you know, do you think that, that it's possible that he comes in and, and we see a dramatic turnaround, uh, you know, kind of like a, a la the, the Dolphins or the, the Falcons? Well, I think he's got a good shot at having that happen, uh, sort of not respective of his own ability, simply because, the Browns have an easier schedule next year, and uh, one certainly hopes that they're going to have better luck with injuries. So just naturally, you sort of expect some improvement because of that. Uh, and also, hopefully, next year there won't be quarterback controversies and some things along those lines. Uh, the Browns have a few months to fill some pretty significant holes uh, on defense in particular. And if those are filled, he's going to be a little bit more successful. But one would tend to think that uh, Mangini... You know, again, he's very much like Belichick. He's a studious guy. Uh, he works extremely hard, and uh, one would suspect that he's not going to pass up the chance to learn from his mistakes. But we're going to have to see it in practice. Hmm. But I do expect a better performance from the Cleveland Browns this next year than we got this year. Of course, it's hard not to do that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I would expect them to turn around. But I'm not expecting this team, you know, to be a 12 and 4 team next year. At least not with the personnel they currently have. You know, um, one thing I really wanted to ask you, Barry, because it's something that I can't remember who wrote it on over on the, uh, your site, but somebody was had written something about Mangini, and they t had talked about the fact that maybe he was being blacklisted by some of the other positions, and that's why you weren't hearing his uh, his name brought up with you know some of the other coaching vac vacancies. 
And, you know, I, I did find that a little bit curious, but it, I also wondered if, well, maybe it's just a situation where everybody kind of was hearing the same thing that you guys were hearing, that it was looking like Mangini was going to go to Cleveland anyway, so nobody else was really knocking on that door. I was wondering if you could maybe give me your take on that, if you've heard anything as far as that's concerned, as far as, and I should explain, black, being blacklisted over the whole Spygate thing and the perception that, you know, he sort of tattled on Bill Belichick and that somehow that's, that that's not acceptable amongst the coaching community. So could you maybe talk a little bit about if Spygate's role in any of this? I mean, is that just past us? Is, should it be a dead issue? Or what, what's your take on all of that? Well, it, it's not a dead issue to uh, Scott Pioli. So if he had wound up here at the GM, in the GM role, I would not have expected Mangini to get this opportunity. Uh, he might have still, you know, if the owner pushed hard enough. But, you know, there were people uh, on the day that Mancini got fired by the Jets, uh, literally, I remember one columnist going out and saying he'll never work in the NFL again. No one's ever going to touch this guy. Uh, because, you know, not only did he have the Spygate situation with the Patriots, but Bill Belichick did not want this guy to go to the Jets. The Jets are the Patriots' rivals, you know. And uh, that's exactly, of course, what Mancini went ahead and did, is he went to the team's, uh, uh, you know, uh, biggest rival, and uh, then, you know, uh, allegedly uh, ratted on them about Spygate. So at least from the Patriots' perspective, they were not very fond of Eric Mangini. Uh, I think one of the other factors here, uh, and, you know, we can't say necessarily that he's been blacklisted or anything along those lines, but uh, Cleveland is a little bit of an unusual situation because we've gone through college coaches and we've gone through a whole series of this year's hot assistants you know, uh, promoted to the head coaching job. Uh, and we've gone through that for a little while now. And it was pretty obvious from the perspective of fans, uh, and certainly you got a little sense of this from Lerner as well, that they were looking for something different. They were looking for an experienced head coach. And so as a result, the Browns are looking in a little bit different direction than, say, Denver and Detroit are, where uh, they uh, uh, are essentially looking, you know, like, teams do every year at the hot coordinator. So you got Jason Garrett interviewing with these guys for whatever reason and, and Rex Ryan and, and folks like that. So they're just sort of more naturally inclined to go in a different direction than the Browns. And uh, the Browns were much more inclined to look at a guy like Mancini uh, who perhaps has, had been fired from a head coaching job before. So I think that probably has something to do with it as well. Right. Um, one thing to, I, you know, what we've been talking a lot so far here about, you know, like I said, basically the facts of how this all went down. I, I would like to get into maybe just a little bit of opinion here. Um, my whole take on this thing was I did not want to see a college coach coming in here. And when I heard, uh, you know, some of the talk that Pioli really favored heavily bringing in Kirk Ferentz from Iowa, that made me cringe a little bit, the thought of go going down that road. And so, you know, if there was some truth to that, I don't really necessarily have a problem with Randy Lerner saying, you know what, that's not what I want to do. I've tried that. I'm not comfortable with it. I want to bring in somebody experienced. And so, you know, he turned the direction of Eric Mangini. I don't have too much of a problem with that line of thinking. What I'm more concerned about is uh, the GM position now and, you know, this perception that Mangini is basically picking his own boss and, um, you know, this whole sort of cloud over, you know, who, what direction are we going as far as that's concerned. So I was wondering, what's your opinion on the way 
on the way this was handled, the hiring of the coach first and getting the experienced guy versus maybe the co- the college guy that uh, that Pioli favored. I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about your opinion on the way that went down. I, I think that no matter what Randy Lerner did, no matter what route he followed, uh, he was going to get criticism. And the reason I think that is because people have very, very little faith in the Cleveland Browns right now. Uh, and, you know, for good reason. I mean, look at the last 20 years. And so as a result, if people don't have faith in the decision makers, uh, they're going to criticize whatever he does. Now, out in Denver, for example, they're looking at hiring the head coach first as well. But I haven't heard a lot of Broncos fans getting all fired up about that. If you take a look at Philadelphia, you have Andy Reid, who's really the guy who not only coaches the team, but is making uh, the personnel choices. And Tom Heckert, uh, while he's got the GM title, uh, doesn't necessarily make those personnel decisions, and that's worked pretty well as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a number of different answers here which can work right. The one thing that I think I disagree with in terms of the premise of your question is I don't think that Mangini's really picking the general manager. I think what Lerner's mm-hmm. looking for is a general manager and a head coach who can work well together, a la okay. Pioli and Belichick in, in, in New England. And so Mangini said, hey, there's this guy, Kokinas, down in uh, Baltimore, who I used to work with. I'd love to work with him again. And so Lerner will go talk to him. But the fact that Lerner's talking to Heckert, uh, the fact that he's talked to other guys and he's still maintaining com- uh, you know, a line of communication with Pioli, the fact that he's talking to these guys, tried to talk to McKay, sort of indicates to me that you know, he's just looking for someone who would work well with Mangini and a little bit less of Mangini's, you know, sort of dictating to Randy, here's who you ought to go hire, uh, which I think is encouraging. I think that's encouraging. You just uh, hope that they work together well. What I'm personally hoping for, if you want to get into opinion, is that, yeah. you know, with, uh, in, in my opinion, Randy Lerner, is, is a lot of his logic makes sense. You know, he's, he, he's not just out there flailing. He's working with a purpose. But to me, Randy Lerner always seems to be fighting the last war. So, you know, when we had Butch Davis, we had a situation here where uh, Davis simply had too much power for one individual. Uh, his personnel guy was not a very capable personnel guy. Uh, Davis would over, overrule him and the entire scouting staff seemingly on a whim uh, with the Richard Seymour thing, for example, uh, where he picked uh, Gerard Warren rather than uh, Seymour, who was uh, – uh, uh, who was the you know by far the cha- favorite of his scouts? Uh, so he said, okay, well that doesn't work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get two guys who uh, seem pretty respectable in this Savage and this Cornell, and I'm going to split power between them. Well, that didn't work either, right? Because the community they were across purposes from time to time, and you know they they just weren't connected at the hip, uh, it, maybe as much as they said they were, right? And so they they wanted some different things and. Uh, they didn't work together as effectively as, as Lerner wanted. So now he says, okay, well, I'm going to do the same thing again, but I'm going to get two guys who work together well. You know, that'll fix the problem that we had the last time. And I'm not necessarily sure that that's going to lead him to the right answer again. So just sort of philosophically, you know, he seems to be fighting the last war. And that's not to say that he can't be successful, uh, but I would much rather him sort of look at a variety of different possibilities which he does seem to be doing, but he did seem to be did seem to settle into this notion of emulating uh, New England fairly quickly. Um, if I had any criticism, 
uh, it would be that he seems to be reacting to what didn't work last time uh, rather than, you know, necessarily starting with a vision of what it is he wants to create. Does that make any sense? (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that he is limited who would take the job as GM by hiring the coach first? Uh, Yeah, that's that's going to wipe out certain guys who would want to be able to hire the coach and, uh, or, you know, guys who would not feel comfortable with the coach. And Scott Pioli is an example, obviously. What I would really like to see is I'd like to see if he's going to hire a young GM, you know, like a Tom Heckert or a Kokinos or somebody like that, that once again, and I asked for this four years ago with Savage, is that he get an experienced NFL executive in there at the president level to coordinate things, to help mentor the, uh, his replacement, essentially, in his new responsibilities and prevent him from making some of the mistakes. I think we saw with Phil Savage, a guy who was a great scout, but he had absolutely no mentoring uh, in the GM role. And if, if there was a Ron Wolf there or somebody like that, even for just a couple of years, I think sure. that Phil Savage could have avoided some mistakes and have been successful and if we're going to go down the same path again, just making sure that these guys work together well may not be enough. Again, you may need some of that sort of mentoring. So if I had to give advice to Randy Lerner, <laughs> that would be the advice just, I would give him. Just in case and, he's uh, listening. <laughs> just in case he's listening. I'm yeah. sure he does. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just just in case, uh, that's the advice I would give him. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not expecting my, my phone to ring <laughs> with anybody asking questions here in, in the next 20 minutes. But uh, well, that, that's my take on it. You know, that makes a lot of sense, too. And if you think about, you know, kind of outside the realm of football, you know, you see the Bulls kind of doing that right now with Vinny Del Negro, you know, and uh, bringing on uh, Del Harris, you know, as one of his assistant coaches. You know, I mean, Del Harris doesn't need to be an assistant coach anywhere. But, uh, you know, he's he's bringing him along as a head coach. And, and so to speak, that's that's what you're kind of hoping that, that we might be able to see here with, with whoever the new GM is, that uh, that if it's an inexperienced guy, that, that he gets an experienced person uh uh, alongside them to learn from it makes a lot of sense to me. Of course, whether or not we find I mean, it, someone it, who'd be willing to do that, it's it, it's true anywhere. You know, yeah. really, uh, you know, sports or the business world. If you have a high potential uh, guy or a couple of high potential guys, you want to get them the right sort of mentoring so the guy doesn't flail necessarily uh, while trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and I think really, really, Phil Savage could have benefited from that. And if you get a guy like Kakinas up here to Cleveland. Uh, that he might benefit from him as well, from it as well, or you might get lucky, like the Patriots did, and have two guys who just fell into those roles and did extremely well in them. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, again, you know, uh, very similar sort of situation with younger guys who were put together and had some success. But uh, you know, let's see if they hold it together for as long as the Patriots have. Um, like I said, there's no one right answer. Uh, some of Lerner's logic makes sense, but uh, if I was hedging my bets, uh, I'd get a little gray hair uh, into the president's office in Berea and uh, uh, just make sure that Kokinas is on the right path, or whoever it turns out to be. Yeah, well, that's good stuff, Barry. Um, I know you're very busy, so we want to get you out of here pretty quickly. Um, maybe sort of uh, one last thing on my end. I'm just kind of curious. Do you have any idea what we're looking at now as far as uh, time frame for hiring uh, the GM? Do you think this is going to move as, you know, quickly, or is this going to kind of slow down now that Lerner's content with the uh, coach that we have? I expect it to move very quickly after this weekend. Um, you know, the, the only thing that could possibly hold it up is if there's some 
you know, uh, interest that comes out of left field. And I'm thinking of Bill Parcells with, with that particular one. But I don't expect that to happen. Uh, we got the Senior Bowl coming up here in about a week and a half. Uh, and uh, the Cleveland Browns last time out had to wait for Romeo Cornell to be done with the Super Bowl before they had everything together. I think that hurt him. And so uh, as a result, again, I think uh, Learner's learning from what he went through last time and is going to try to make this other GM hire relatively quickly. I expect this side next week. Uh, that we're going to have a GM in place for the Browns. All right? That's a prediction. Oh, <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Fun talking to you. All right. All right. Thanks, Bye-bye. Barry. All right. And that's going to uh, wrap up our show for today. Um, our thanks again goes to Barry McBride from the Orange and Brown Report. You can check that out at cle.scout.com. And in all seriousness, that is well worth getting a subscription over there. You can't beat the uh, insider stuff you get uh, from there. Um, I think uh, Rick can you can testify for this too that some of the information we've been getting on this whole process has kept us leaps and bounds ahead of what we were getting from uh, other sources. So um, definitely worth the subscription there. They they do seven day trials, um, so check them out. Um, you're gonna get some good inside information there. Um, so. Uh, check them out, and uh, that's going to wrap it up for us here today. Um, thanks, Rick, for helping out with the co-hosting. And uh, as always, if you have any questions about the podcast, you can send us an email, podcast at waitingfornextyear.com. So uh, we'll check you out next week. Thanks. Strike three called ball game. This has been the waitingfornextyear.com podcast. For complete coverage of the Browns, Indians, Cavaliers, and all your Cleveland teams, log on to waitingfornextyear.com. Contact us on the Internet. Thank you, and good day.